You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Did you ever want to spread your wings and fly? But as soon as you had that thought, a little voice in your head shot it down. Maybe the voice said, grow up, get real, settle for paying the bills and getting by, and be very grateful for it. Hello, storytellers, and welcome to another opportunity to expand and enrich your world. One of the ways that you can definitely accelerate your growth is by choosing to read more wonderful books. And our sponsor, Audible, offers you a free downloadable audiobook of your choice. You choose from more than 180,000 titles. You get to keep it. And you also get an entire month free of all of Audible service. Go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and choose a form of audio empowerment today. I really value your presence here, your loyalty by listening to this show again and again and I'm going to ask you for a favor. Go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review for this show. One of the easiest ways to do it is to leave a comment about your biggest takeaway from today's episode. And that will help the show to gain more visibility. Then more and more people can have the opportunity like you to enrich their lives. Thank you in advance for doing that. Today's guest wanted to fly. She did. And she listened to a little voice that clipped her wings, but just for a short while. Then she just ignored the voice and took a scary leap into the unknown. She reclaimed her wings and built a real estate empire that generated over $18 million in real estate investment dollars in the first five years. Today, she's still reaching higher and constantly growing. She has two master's degrees, one in aerospace engineering and one in spiritual psychology. Get ready for some authentic learning from Allie Boone. You can learn more about her at AllieBoone.com and at HipsterInvestments.com. Allie, welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Wow, what a cool intro. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. When people tell me that, I say to them, thank you. But I just wrote it down, but you created it, see? <laughs> so. You have such a great tone. You you say it so nicely. Well, thank you. So I always love to know, especially from entrepreneurs, who influenced you the most when you were a child? You know, I've thought about this before and I've tried to look back because I feel like I don't have the typical entrepreneur story. You know, a lot of the entrepreneurs and 
I think of the Shark Tank sharks and all those guys, and they're like, oh, I made my first lemonade stand at age five and made a lot of money, and I really didn't start out that way. And I was very internalized as a kid. Like, I was very much in my own head, and I didn't really watch other people so much. So I actually, for some odd reason, don't have a great answer to that other than just kind of listening to myself, if that sounds weird. No, not at all. I mean, you know, see what you said first, I'm not a typical, there is no typical entrepreneur. There really isn't. I mean, the the people who are profiled, they have a certain kind of profile. So that's what we have seen on the media. But when you say that you were in your own world, well, that's a sign of an entrepreneur. Because I have a book here, you might like it, written by a very successful entrepreneur. It's called Psychologically Unemployable. Oh, that is like the story of my life. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I definitely read that. And it's also the story of my life. But, you know, it's interesting. So you were in your own head, but you may not have been paying attention to people in your immediate world, but were there any people that you didn't meet, but you, you know, had heroes or heroines in your mind? You know, I really, I haven't had those. I would say the loudest voices in my head were my parents, obviously. They were giving me the famous go to school, get straight A's, go to college, get a secure job. Like that was really the only voice I was really hearing. And you know, I was a I was a Sesame Street kid. Like I was doing I liked the math, you know, I was doing the pretty nerdy things. I was a I grew up to be at least through high school and college. I turned into the engineer. I got the engineering degree and it was very much that stereotypical left brain math nerd type of thing and that's really most of what I was following is just the 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 kind of what society was saying I should do. I should be going to church. I should be getting good grades and I, you know, I, I've never really lived much in a fantasy world. Even now, I hate to admit this, I've never even watched Star Wars. Like, I've I've never watched much sci-fi. Like, I've always been very uh, grounded on Earth and in reality. And so I've I've not really ever looked too far out to the heroes and all those guys. But as I started getting older, I started really looking towards, like, the businessmen. And as a kid, I hated reading books. And I started to learn to love to read books when I found money books and business books and, you know, again, going with the nerd factor. And um, that and my parents were like, wait, now you want to read? Like, if we had given you a business book back in the day, you would have started reading? Oh, I don't know. So, you know, I've, I've started really following the advice of people, but I've never really been one to to really latch on to other people that much, which I think, kind of like you say, is a good thing because it it allowed me to keep listening to myself and not those around me. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. By the way, I love what you said about, you know, sci-fi and Star Wars. And um, interesting thing is that I used to feel that way, Mm -hmm. but I don't anymore. And here's why. Those films are reality. As a matter of fact, I heard a wonderful statement from a, a mentor of mine. He said, most people think The Matrix is a science fiction movie. They don't realize it's a documentary. Oh, I love that. I'll you're just, totally right. I totally see that. Well, yeah, especially today because of the digital technology explosion. Mm-hmm. Science fiction is science reality. But did you have a childhood dream of who you wanted to be when you grew up? 
I did. And it was kind of a unique one. I, you know, a lot of parents or whoever ask kids what they want to be when they grow up. And I never once had that in my head. I thought maybe I wanted to be a pilot just because my dad was a pilot. And then, of course, I did end up being a pilot. But that was kind of just a hunch, maybe. But the thing that always came to me as a kid and a little bit without me realizing it is my only goal in life has to been has is to be happy. Like when people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? My first thought was happy. Like I, that was just kind of, you know, whatever that took. And as I got a little bit older, I started thinking more of kind of indirectly about entrepreneurship just because I was a huge problem solver. And I, I remember at 13 thinking I wanted to grow up and make a lot of money. And, but the reason not for pretension reasons, not for any of that, I just wanted the personal challenge of it. Like, Oh, that seems like a fun challenge I should take on. So it was, it was a little of an eclectic feeling as to what I wanted to be, but I knew independence was a big part of it for me. Even as a kid, I hated people telling me what to do. I still do. Uh, I was much more likely to not do it if somebody told me to do it. And yeah, so it was kind of just this feeling of wanting to be happy, whatever that took, because I figure the happier the better, and independence and just being my own person and being able to solve my own problems. It's wonderful. And of course, everyone defines happiness for themselves in different ways. And what what I'm hearing is that at the top of your happiness pyramid is independence. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And really, the the crux of that for me is freedom. And that's been, you know, a lot of people have asked me my why, like, what, what led me to keep doing this? What led me to stick it out? Why do I keep doing it? And for me, it's freedom. And freedom for me is my everything. I, I joke with people all the time saying I drive a stick shift car in Los Angeles because I don't even like my transmission telling me what to do. Like, it's freedom. (laughs) 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 And that's a true story. Um, I'm probably the only person in Los Angeles that drives a stick shift. They don't even think they sell them here. <laughs> well, I got news for you. If you were in Toronto or in New York with a stick shift, your <laughs> stick shift would be constantly telling you what to do and you would hate it <laughs> because you would stop every 30 seconds. That is, you know, that's a very profound uh, <laughs> twist on my what has been my theory for a long time because Los Angeles does the same thing. You're completely right is actually... I don't have a lot of say in when I shift. <laughs> Quite frankly, my left leg gets really tired from how much <laughs> You know, I think you may have, I'm like, uh-oh, I may be thinking about this the rest of the day. <laughs> well, you know, it'd be interesting if Allie goes away and says, you know what, I had this podcast interview, and right after it, I went out and bought a new Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. i like, I would like whatever automatic car you can offer me, please. <laughs> Mindset shift. Okay. So I would love to know why. Well, you get give me an idea of the why because of your dad, but when did you become a pilot? I became a pilot when I was uh, 20. Uh, it was in 2001. And my parents actually tried to get me into flight lessons when I was in high school. I was a little bit, well, my mother would contest the word little bit. Uh, rebellious in high school, and they were kind of <laughs> grasping it. <laughs> they were, it, if you mention age 17, the hairs on the back of her neck still stand up. Um, they were trying, they were grasping at straws to kind of refocus me in high school, and so they tried to put me into flight training because I had kind of talked about it and it seemed like something I could do. And I honestly was so scatterbrained at the time, I just didn't want to put in that kind of work and yada, yada, yada. So I went to college for a couple of years, partied like crazy, and then when I was ready to kind of come back to the real world, 
uh, I started flight training. So I got my private pilot's license initially when I was 20. And then uh, I went through the whole thing, and now I actually teach it. That's kind of a fun side gig. Wow. What kind of planes do you fly? Right now, it's Pipers. I Most of my time, so after I got my ratings, I did a lot of my training in tailwheel planes, and then I went to Banner Toe, like flying the banners around the beach down in Miami. And so when I became an instructor, I was actually doing tailwheel instruction, which was really fun. But then the crash happened in 2009, and suddenly people didn't want tailwheel endorsements. So I started working with private pilots, and that was in Cessnas. And I just, in the last couple of years, switched over to the Pipers because I got on with a different flight school. And I tell you, I've been missing out. I should have been in the Pipers a long time ago. They're awesome planes. <laughs> I can hear the excitement. Hey, did- <laughs> I know. like, oh, now i got to go fly, but it's raining outside. <laughs> And if you were here, it's snowing. So uh, let me see. Uh, Did your parents get nervous when you went to flight school and you told them, I love it, but I just don't think I need to learn how to land a plane? (laughs) (laughs) You know, they were nervous. They have, they've, uh, they've had to readjust themselves with me a little bit. Like they, I, now we actually have a strategy where I never tell them when I'm going on a flight. I tell them after the flight and how fun it was. Like mom just doesn't want to know if I'm in the air. She'd rather just hear the stories about it later. Cause if she knows I'm going flying, she gets nervous. And especially when I moved to Miami to banner toe, it's a very dangerous job. And my dad was in the industry, so he knew how dangerous it was. And they just, but they they had given up so many years prior of even trying to tell me what to do because they pretty much knew if they told me their preference, I would specifically do the opposite. So you know, it's kind of a, there's really no winning. So they just kind of learned to keep their mouth shut and panic silently. I totally relate because uh, when I was in my teens, my dad once uh, very like a good detective, went into my closet and Uh-oh. he looked into a pool cue case and f- found many ounces of pot. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and to this, when we, I remember he, he made it disappear. My friend and I used to tease him. Go, what did you do with it? Did you smoke it? questions you ask all the way into adulthood like dad i'm an adult you can tell me now and they they won't well i i also i also once tried to get him high by making pot brownies and uh, and i offered him a brownie and somehow he just knew and he said <laughs> and he said no no i don't want that <laughs> <laughs> trying for the sneak attack yeah <laughs> Samantha's parents, they always know. I'm telling you. So why did you choose aerospace engineering? Is it again because you said you were a geek? A little bit. Um, Actually, so my plan was when I started flight training, I had transferred colleges to one that had a professional pilot degree. And so I went to that school to do the professional pilot degree. But once I got there and I started flight training, I realized that I could do all of my – flight training has no – you don't need college for it. You can do it totally outside of college. And I started thinking that if I got a degree in professional pilot, and if for any reason I decided I didn't want to be a professional pilot, maybe that wasn't going to be very helpful. So since I could get my flight ratings elsewhere anyways, outside of college, I was like, well, I should, I should switch my major to something a little more useful. And I knew pilots starting out made bupkis for money. And remember when I was 13, I decided I wanted to make a lot of money. So I thought to myself, well, you know, I don't really want to travel that much. I want to make more money. What in this field could I do that would make more money? And I was like, oh, 
engineering. It's got to be the same thing as flying. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And it took me a master's degree and five years in the industry to realize that they are literally on complete polar opposite ends of the spectrum. They're not anything alike. They happen to deal with the same kind of thing, but it's a very different mindset and a very different way of looking at things. And, but you know, it was really the engineering part was really just because I thought that's what I needed to be doing. I wanted the paycheck. I needed that quote unquote secure job. And it just seemed to fall in line with everything smart. And then I was doing the flying in addition to that. So you know, it was it was a really good lesson learned. It's I I like to say now I still have engineering tendencies and I can make a mad spreadsheet. Like don't even get me started. <laughs> on but, but you know, engineering is very very detail oriented. And if there is one thing in this world that I hate, it's details. Other than math problems, I like details and math problems. But um, yeah, so it was a really good experience. I'm glad I did everything I did. And I, I really think a lot of what I learned helped me in entrepreneurship. But as you know, as an entrepreneur, you've got to have the big picture mindset. And flying an airplane is very big picture. Like there's some details in it, but it's a very big picture situation. And so I'm just, I'm that big picture person. So, but, you know, sometimes you have to do things that, uh, to find out what you're not, which is, was engineering in my mm-hmm. case. Well, I love the fact I read, uh, you said that on your first day of your corporate job, <laughs> engineering, <laughs> that you got into your cubicle and your, you felt that your soul had been sucked out through your feet. So mm-hmm. m- my question is, before that happened and you got there, you were going there, what did you imagine it would be like? Well, I think my mindset leading up to that moment, because i that's really what it felt like. I felt like I watched my soul leave my toes. And leading up to that, because, you know, like I said, my whole life I followed the what I was supposed to be doing, what, you know, the shoulds and the get good grades in college and whatever. And, and I really hadn't, doing that didn't really impede on me having fun and me doing what I wanted to do and all that. And so I think that I imagined, I actually thought I would end up walking into this like really cool, adventurous experience because I was working for one of the top defense contractors. I mean, this was like the elite of the elite jobs I had just landed. I was like, oh man, this is going to be awesome. And when I turned the corner and I, that, that all happened before I even sat down in the cubicle. That was literally as I turned the corner into the cubicle, I thought, oh, this is this is a little drab compared to what I was expecting. And, uh, you know, I just kind of assumed all the excitement would come. And I really pursued the excitement for the whole five years. I took a transfer to something that sounded more exciting. I actually really ended up doing the quote unquote exciting things. I ended up as a top secret flight test engineer. I was going to top secret locations every week. Um, You know, I really, I've seen a top secret air show. And, you know, so I really, I maxed out my attempts at finding the excitement in that whole thing. And it was exciting, but it just, my soul never came back through my toes during all of that. Even as I'm watching the coolest things on the planet that most other people will never see in their whole lives, I was still missing my soul. And so that was, you know, that was a big thing. But, you know, I, like I said, I tried it for five years. It's not like I walked into my cubicle and turned right back around. I really tried it, but it was kind of in that moment that I realized something about this wasn't working and I was missing something. And I think leading up to that point, I didn't see so much that I was missing something because, you know, everything else was still kind of in line. That's beautiful. And uh, I also like the fact that 
many people, you know, we often hear the soul, like, where is the soul? Well, now we know it's it's somewhere in your toes. And that's cool. But what do you call? Oh, yeah. Have you are you familiar with Anthony Robbins is um, when he talks about the uh, the different high the hierarchy of human needs? I'm not familiar with Anthony Robbins uh, talking about it, but I know like Maslow's Maslow. hierarchy, yeah. The, yeah, psychology and all that. It's similar, but one of the things I like from Robbins, and this is related to what you're telling me, some people have a very high priority on a need for certainty and security. Yeah. He says, but yeah. there's also a very strong need for some people for uncertainty. And yeah. that, that's you, which is, yeah. you say, what do you mean uncertainty? Uncertainty means I need adventure and excitement and discovery. Yeah. And without that, life seems very, very closed in. And I know because I feel that way too. Yeah. I, yeah, no, that totally resonates. And, it, and it's kind of, sometimes I get annoyed by it because I'm like, could I not just sit here and be content with complacent <laughs> like, or complacency? And, you know, because I, I can exhaust myself. And I will say that as I've gotten a little bit older and I've, you know, I've really been through a lot of the adventures now, like I've really calmed down. Like I can actually Netflix my way through a Saturday now. Back in the day, you know, I couldn't sit down that long. I had to be doing something else. And, you know, I've done all these cool things in life now because I used to get so bored or, well, I thought it was because I was getting bored, but I think it's more of what you're talking about is I needed that excitement. And I needed that adventure and I needed that uncertainty but now it's come it's come down a lot and but it's still you know it keeps my mind going but it can be a little exhausting and i have the friends who will blatantly say they're completely fine with security and certainty and they just want a 9 to 5 job they want their paycheck on fridays and they're completely happy doing so and i i i didn't even know those people existed <laughs> i was like wow, tell me more. I don't even know what you're saying right now. And I know. So that's kind of when I realized that I'm more, you know, I'm on the different side of that and I appreciate whichever side anybody's on. But yeah, it's, it's kind of learning that about yourself and realizing that is a thing and, you know, how can you appease that? Are you familiar with Dan Sullivan? No. Strategic coach? Uh, no, but I can start writing all these things down. You should. I want you to go and find his latest podcast, it's called Inside Strategic Coach. And the reason he's going to address in a brilliant way a lot of the stuff you're talking about. And when, yeah. you, when you talk about calming down, you're going to be surprised that Dan, who is 74 and who plans to live to 156, is, <laughs> is, <I like> that. <laughs> he's just getting started and he probably would not coach you to calm down. So, oh, yeah. listen, you'll love it. You're going to love it. The guy is just a genius. He really is. Inside Strategic Coach. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd love to check that out. So, I want to know why it took you five years to leap into the unknown. Well, so the main reason was uh, not knowing how I was going to do it. Um, mentally, I was totally there. Like, I really have not been one of those to sit back and wait for more certainty, kind of like we've already talked about. Um, you know, I was I was ready to leap, but I didn't know where I was going to leap into. So the minute I turned the corner into that cubicle and the first words out of my mouth after I watched my soul leave my toes was, I got to get out of here. 
And so that really set the stage for the next five years, which was, how am I going to get out of here? Because if I now have a corporate job and a corporate paycheck, I need to be able to replace that corporate paycheck. I can't just walk out of my corporate job and, you know, I got to eat. I got to live somewhere. Like, how am I going to fund that? And so as I sat down, um, I, I started thinking like, well, what, how do I do this? And I, you know, I was a smart person. I had skills. I could fly airplanes, but I didn't really have a particular service or skill to start a business with, or, you know, I could go flight instruct, but flight instructors, uh, the pay is not terrible, but the hours can be pretty bad. And, you know, I didn't want to rely on income from something I loved because I was afraid it was going to make me not love it. Um, and so I just, I didn't know what to do or how to get out of corporate. So I immediately started reading books. One of the first books I ever read, which a lot of people have read is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that really set the stage for me to understand the difference between being an employee, having your own business, but working in your business, having your own business, but working on your business and investing. And I was like, Whoa, tell me more. And I ended up buying all sorts of books from him. And, you know, I really just started reading. I'm, I'm an old school, hard copy, hardcover book. I, I'm not big on internet resources and all that. And so I just started, I'm looking at my bookshelf as we speak. I, every business and money book possible. And I decided at some point, well, the obvious options are start a business or somehow get into real estate investing. Those seem to be the two things that could get somebody out of a corporate job. And I, you know, I kind of tried everything. I went to different workshops. I would come up with all these brainiac ideas, but nothing really landed uh, until probably maybe three and a half years in or so. I started investing in real estate, actually, kind of unplanned to tie it to my corporate departure. Um, I was like, well, while I still have a corporate job, I might as well do something smart with my money. And that investing led to the connections, which actually led me to end up starting my business. And so, it was really the logistics that held me back because I couldn't figure out, I couldn't just walk out and just hope for the best. I needed something going. So yeah, it was really five years of exploring, of trying a few different things, of just really finding what landed. And then I spent probably about eight months or so building, starting and building my company while I still had the corporate job. I was trying to hang on as long as I could just so I could keep eating. And then I finally made the leap. But yeah, for me, it was totally logistics, which uh, from all the people I've talked to tends to be a little bit different. A lot of people have more of the mental blocks or mental resistances. But yeah, I just I just needed the bullet points steps of what to do. And that's that's what took so long to figure out. Well, I love what you're telling me. This is an interesting conversation because, uh, you know, do you know Les Brown, the motivational speaker? No, but I have got a pen going at this point. <laughs> well, you'll love him because he's extremely entertaining as well as inspiring. And he has the saying, the how is none of your business. Ah, I love that. And, and you know, what stops people... But, it's understandable because, you know, you get scared yeah. and your rational mind is saying, I can't just leave because I don't see what I'm going to be doing. Right. But if the impulse is there and you have any kind of faith, the yeah. whole thing is to take that first step in the dark. And yeah. when you do, it usually, I would say almost always, the universe begins to open doors. It begins to shine a light on your path and you yeah. find the next step and then you find the next step. 
Yep. That happened to me when I was moving from New York to Montreal. And I had never been in Montreal and I was leaving a job to go to school, which meant no more income. Mm -hmm. And I spent an entire night sleepless in Montreal trying to decide. And at the end of that, when the sun was coming up, I remember feeling, you want to know what's going to happen. You you can't. So why don't you close your eyes and take a, a deep dive into the unknown? The moment I did that, I was free. That yep. that move was the best move I ever made. Yeah. You know? I actually have a very similar experience, um, almost exactly the same, is that, you know, I I kind of tried to build some of the business before I left my corporate job, but I really hadn't, I, I kind of built a little bit, but I wasn't making a lot of money. And so when I left corporate, I really was plunging off into the unknown. And what really messed me up for the first few months was, keep in mind, I was an engineer and a pilot. And engineers and pilots are very capable and trained in in how to make something happen. Like if I needed the airplane to do something, I made it happen. If I needed to solve an engineering problem, I made the solution come. And I was doing exactly what you were saying is that I was looking for the how. I wanted to, I needed to this thing to work out in a certain way. I needed to get to a certain end goal. And I was just, I was very quickly drowning with that mindset and me having been never trained on a mindset. Otherwise I was very confused as to what was happening. And it finally hit me that this journey, this entrepreneurship thing was not something I could make happen. I couldn't make somebody buy a rental property. I couldn't make a client come. I couldn't make anything happen, which I was like, uh, I didn't even know how to function. And I finally, I kind of had a very similar moment, just like you did, of, wait a minute, I don't need to make anything happen. The only thing that I have control over is doing the absolute best that I can every single day. And that's all. Like, I truly, that is my only power. That's my only control. And when I switched into that mindset, that's when the how started presenting itself. To this day, I don't know what the end result for my company is going to be. I always say that I had 173 business ideas and the only one that worked was this one. And the difference was I still don't know the end game. You know, the other ideas, I'd always come up with the end game and work backwards trying to make it happen. It never worked. And so I love exactly what you're explaining because I've never heard anyone else explain kind of what my experience was is the how needed to come to me. And that's truly how it happened. It the connections I made, the hows started presenting themselves. And then when I paused and tried to make the hows happen or find them myself, it didn't work at all. And I had to switch the mindset, do the best I could every day, and let those start presenting themselves to me again. And that's that's been the only way that any of this has worked out. I love it. I love that you said twice about doing the best you could every day. You, have you read The Four Agreements? I have. I, yeah. I'm looking at it somewhere on my bookshelf right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah. one. That's one of the agreements that you do. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just just fabulous stuff. Do, yeah. do, do you know that that guy was before he became uh, this teacher, this philosopher, if you like, he was a brain surgeon. Yeah. Oh, I love when the people come from science and then switch over to all this stuff. You know, one of my favorites was. Did you read my stroke of insight from Jill Bolte Taylor? No. Ugh. She, you know, my one of my challenges uh, in a lot of this, kind of going alongside the entrepreneurship, was 
I only really knew how to do math. I swore that I only had a left brain. I didn't, I didn't know what, I didn't know what the feelings were. I didn't know what, you know, any of that stuff was. And Jill Bolte Taylor was a neuroscientist and she at a pretty young age had a stroke. Well, young, like forties or something. She had a stroke and her stroke literally shut down her left brain. And the only thing she had left was her right brain for a times being. And so she was the former scientist and only knew things from the left brain perspective. And when she, so the whole book is her experience of what she experienced only having a right brain. And it, it kind of, it's a very similar kind of message of, you know, from science to spirit type of thing of like, okay, wait, what, you know, when the scientists go into the more unknown realms, quote unquote, a lot of them are getting more known scientifically now, but you know, it's, I love hearing those stories because it's such a perspective shift. And I can totally say that I've experienced a lot of that for myself. And I, the four agreements falls right in line with that. Absolutely. And I wrote down that title too, my stroke of insight. I'm going to look that up. Was there an event or a mentor that really helped you to grow exponentially in your success? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, one of my biggest messages to people with entrepreneurship is, I mean, maybe, Someone can do it without a mentor. I know I couldn't have. And one of the, so the guy who ended up being my mentor um, before my business really started, and I started looking into these real estate deals. Like I said, I was just trying to do something smart with my money. And I ended up meeting this guy, and I went to LA to meet him for the first time. We were going over a contract for something. And I'll never forget, he lived in a high rise in LA and there was a rooftop pool deck. So I meet this guy in this rooftop pool deck overlooking all of downtown LA. He's wearing flip flops, khaki shorts, no briefcase, no pen, no anything. And he had just gotten back from traveling, I don't know, to some international country. And I'm so he's he's sitting there talking to me about the real estate stuff and I'm looking at him and I'm like I, I was not hearing anything about the real estate deal. And I just kept looking at him. I was like, okay, you're going to have to tell me how all this is happening. Like, I you I need your life. Like, that's what I want. I want that freedom. I want to be able to do what I want in a day. I want to be able to work whatever hours I want. I want to show up in flip-flops and khaki, or not khaki shorts, but shorts. And I want to travel the world when I want. And so our whole conversation shifted. And, you know, one of my biggest, uh, most powerful quotes that I go by is don't take advice from someone you want to trade shoes with. And I want to trade <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of people talking in this world today and you gotta be careful who you listen to. And this guy was literally displaying the lifestyle that I wanted. And for that reason I was like, I need to take advice from you. I need you to tell me what you're doing. And he ended up uh, to this day we still work very closely together and he ended up being my mentor not only to start my business because he was able to really kind of help me along and make sure that however I was setting up my business was in support of having this kind of lifestyle because there's a lot of ways to set up a business where you don't have that freedom at all and quite frankly you can end up with less freedom than you had when you were working as an employee and so he really kind of helped me structure things in the beginning and then for the first few years of entrepreneurship, I was full blown into the entrepreneurial roller coaster, mostly from a sanity perspective. And, you know, I could go months at a time without a sale and all these things. And because he had been there and done that, he could help me through those moments because, you know, a lot of other people in my life, they, they can be compassionate and they can try and help, but they haven't been there. And they're like, Ooh, panic. You should go back to your job. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. And so he really, 
I mean, easily for the first, for sure, first three years, and then, you know, a little less often after that, he, I, to this day, I know for a fact I wouldn't be where I am without him because, you know, I found someone who was already doing it, and I, and they helped me, and that, I think, was very crucial because had other, most people didn't, weren't living that lifestyle, so how could they help me get that, you know, so, yeah, absolutely, I'm a huge, huge advocate of that kind of help, and even now, I have a new uh, mentor, coach kind of guy, uh, who's in a completely different realm, but I'm kind of trying to do different things. So, you know, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of always having somebody in your back pocket to really be there for you and who truly cares and wants to help you because it, it made the difference for me for sure. What are their names, the first guy and the second guy? Uh, Matt was the first guy and Donnie was the, is the current guy. What about their last names? Oh, like full names. Uh, Matt Bowles was the first one, uh, and he, man, if you want a podcast guest, he's been traveling the world for, gosh, the last four years. He's in a different country every month. I never know where he is. I'm like, what time zone are you in now? <laughs> so we're trying to Hold on. I don't know if you said Matt Bold, B-O-L-D? Uh, Bowles, B-O-W-L-E-S. Okay, and then yep. Donnie? Donnie, uh, I can never, everyone messes his last name up. It's B-O-I-V-I-N. He's a big podcaster. Um, I'm actually going to see him next week for a conference in Tampa. And yeah, he's a, he's a really cool dude. Is it Donnie, D-O-N-N-I-E or D-O-N-N-Y? I-E. Okay. Donnie, it's probably a French name. Probably people call him Bovin, but it's Boivin. Boivin. Okay. Fancy. I'll practice that one before I see him next week. Well, yeah, let's call him Mr. Boivin because V-I-N is wine. Yeah. Right? Oh, as a matter of fact, wait a minute. Boivin is glass of wine. Oh, he just climbed up the ranks for me even more than he already was. You should say, how you doing, Mr. Glass of Wine? (laughs) I totally will, too. (laughs) He's like, you're talking about but i'm down here's another way to do go donnie shall we have some boivin but then you might think (laughs) oh you mean you want me well then that could go in a whole other direction you know Uh i love it let's see here i would love to know what are your favorite income streams uh, my favorite income streams are anything that I don't have to work for. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge passive income person and I, you know, passive income in theory is money you make while you sleep. And it, and I like to clarify with people, it doesn't mean you never have to put work into it, but you don't have to be physically present at any given time for it to continue coming in. For example, I have rental properties and I have a property manager who handles those properties. So occasionally I need to manage the manager, so to speak, or, you know, make some decisions or whatever, but I don't take tenant calls. I don't, I don't deal with repairs. I don't meet handymen. And those properties keep putting money in my account every month. Same with my business. I do a lot of work for my business, but I also, for example, if I travel, I have employees who I can leave for a week and be completely out of touch and business keeps going and the income keeps coming. And, um, you know, I, I'm actually, my first book is with the publisher right now and I'm pretty stoked about that because 
uh, I put out an ebook uh, a few years ago, and what I loved about it was I put the work in initially, and I've never had to do work for it since, and it continues to pay money. So that's really any, and I actually have a hard time because I've gotten so spoiled setting up all these passive income streams. It's making it harder for me to go teach flying. I love flying, but I actually have to show up for that at a certain time. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm like, man, talk about a first world problem. Like, oh, I have to show up for a job. Like, that's almost deal breaker for me. So anything that's passive income related is my kind of income. Well, two things here. You uh, you were talking. The first thing you said was any kind of income you don't have to work for, and I, that, that that's not true. You yeah. you have to work for it. You have to do Absolutely. the. You must do the work to set it up, because Absolutely. otherwise, if, if people will think it's a lottery uh, mentality, and it's the lottery mentality, won't make you any money. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is the kind of income that demands the groundwork that you're willing to do, and yep. then once it's in place, then it continues to pay again and again and again. Yep, exactly. And you mentioned your business, but you haven't really fully defined for our audience what your business is. So my company, we're in the real estate investing field, and which was ironic because when I was in corporate trying to figure out how to get out, I was like, oh, I either have to start a business or I have to get involved in real estate investing. Little did I know I would end up having a real estate investing business. That was, I think, more just kind of coincidence. Um, uh, so we are a boutique referral system. We work primarily with, uh, we're not limited to, but right now we primarily work with turnkey rental properties, which is a little bit of a unique rental property. It's where these turnkey companies go out and they find the distress inventory, they rehab the house, they place tenants, they have property management set up for you. So you as the investor, you get a fully performing rental property, but you haven't had to do the heavy lifting. All you need to do is the due diligence, you know, just to make sure everything is as advertised. And occasionally once you own it, you may have to manage the manager a little bit or make decisions. And But it really minimizes the requirement on your part as far as how to get a performing rental property because honestly rehabbing is tough it's risky dealing with tenants can be a headache and you know so someone else is doing that for you and the advantage to that is you can buy like I'm in Los Angeles where you can't buy a rental property that's going to put cash in your pocket every month you might be able to profit on the appreciation side or some other way but you're going to be negative cash flow every month so and the entry prices are terrible so someone, a lot of my clients are California and they're buying in Chicago and St. Louis and Philadelphia. And because all the heavy lifting is done for you, you can buy non-locally to where you live and it'd be completely fine. And um, it also allows people who maybe wouldn't have, our, uh, wouldn't have otherwise gotten in, involved in real estate investing to do it. Because I know when I started looking into it, I was like, I don't want to swing hammers. I mean, I could if I have to, but that sounds terrible. So for people like me who just don't want to do it or people who don't have the skills for that, it now allows them to still own rental properties, which is a very smart financial move, um, you know, because other people are doing the work. So what we do, we're really a glorified matchmaker. Like I started buying turnkeys myself and through that I found the companies that are trustworthy. I found who I had good experiences with, who I didn't. And people really just kind of started asking me who I was working with. And that's what ended up becoming the business is that's all that still happens now is I tell people, um, I connect people with the companies I trust. 
Um, and then what has really come out of it over the years, which is kind of my favorite part, is I used to say we're glorified matchmakers, but we're also emotional service dogs, too. And uh, by that, or sorry, emotional support dogs, um, because a lot of new investors are fearful and for good reason. It's a lot of money. It's kind of intimidating. And we really stay on to help you through the buy-in process. Even once you own the property, even if it's five years later, you can reach out and say, hey, I have a challenge going on. Do you have any ideas? So, and we charge nothing to the buyer. We get paid on the other side. So it's really just, you know, we're, real estate investing is a very tough industry in that customer service is really not at the top of the ranks for it. And so it can be intimidating. It can be stuffy. Um, you know, people aren't really necessarily required to act a certain way or even be nice. And so we really try and be a little bit of a friendly face in the otherwise intimidating industry. And yeah, so, and you know, we're, we're huge advocates of lifestyle design, passive income. We think turnkeys are one route for that. There's multiple routes, but we, you know, really try and support the investing options that help contribute towards that kind of potential. I love it. Uh, define yeah. turnkey for those people who are not sure what that means. So turnkey, the term itself is actually specific to the condition of a property. So the term originated out of the idea of you buy a property and all you have to do is put the key in the door and turn it and you're making money on day one. So it's technically referring to a property that is already rehabbed. It doesn't need work. Tenants are in. Uh, they're paying rent. And the minute you close on the property, you can make money on day one. And so you could buy, there might be a turnkey house next door to you that you could buy. But when I talk about turnkeys, we work specifically with uh, the properties that are in turnkey condition that are coming from turnkey companies. Like I said, there's companies out there who specialize in these and they basically create uh, a revolving inventory of turnkey properties. So they, they get the property to turnkey status for you to buy. So as of now, all of the turnkeys that we work with come from these companies, but in um, full clarification, it's specific to the condition of a property. I love it. Is there a large investment usually for a particular property? Not, uh, it's all relative. Typically, you're going to be looking at 20% down. Um, you're the, the properties that we work with honestly range between only about seventy thousand to two hundred thousand dollars. Like, you know, I'm in California where that doesn't even buy a bathroom. So, <laughs> you know, for someone from California it might seem like a really cheap investment, whereas, you know, it, it's all relative. But so between seventy thousand and say a hundred and fifty thousand dollars, if you're looking at twenty percent down, that's anywhere between what, twenty thousand and forty thousand or whatever it is. Um, and that's if you qualify for a tr traditional mortgage. So obviously the best way to buy a property is with a mortgage because it's going to be your lowest interest rates and all that. If you say live in Canada and you're buying in the U.S., you don't qualify for a traditional mortgage. There are private financing options, but then you're going to be looking at somewhere between 35 and 50% down most likely, or you can pay cash. So it's, but you know, a hundred thousand dollars cash for, like I said, someone from California, that seems like pennies and you know, but a lot of people don't have a hundred thousand dollars cash. So it's a little varying, but the entry prices are pretty reasonable as far as real estate goes, which is really nice. Hmm. That's wonderful. It's very eye-opening. I, I was going to ask you this question, but I think in our conversation, you've already answered it. 
Do you get bored easily? Yes. <laughs> Not as much as I used to. I really, I was back in the day, I swear, if I didn't have social plans for the weekend by about Tuesday, I would start getting nervous. And now, um, you know, I used to always have roommates. I used to always be right in the mix of the social things. I used to just be pursuing anything I could, adventures or businesses or a new book or whatever. And I really, probably just in the last maybe, uh, well, I'd say after the first couple of years of really stressing out about business and really just punching it, trying to get that going, my perspective really shifted about the things I really enjoy in life. And once I uh, was introduced to my right brain, uh, that helped a lot too, because now I can really stop and smell the roses. But yeah, now like I live by myself and I love it. The old me never would have been able to do that because it needed entertainment all the time. And now I can just chill with the best of them. So in some way, I I don't get bored now, but I still pursue you know interesting things and I try and expand my mind and learn new things. And I've been trying to teach myself to ski and snowboard for the last six years and that's ongoing. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm always, it's not so much that I get bored now, but I am usually trying to do things outside of my comfort zone. Yeah, I will, I will say that. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's all about growth. But what I love what you said, you know, you, you, now you know that you can live alone, but yeah. you know, you don't need to be entertained. I'm thinking, well, you have the energy of a person, what I get a picture of is that there's a pretty wild party going on inside your head anyway. And, <laughs> and, and there probably isn't room sometimes for other people to join that party. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, well, and you know, my, my freakish amounts of independence don't really help with that either. <laughs> like, you know, and it's, it's, um, you know, it's all, it's a lot about mindset. And, you know, back in the day, I could just kind of bond and be friends with everybody. And now I don't necessarily want that. Like I, mm. I don't want just anybody around me. And I love my peace and quiet. So if I'm going to let you into that peace and quiet and let you in on my levels of independence, you know, you, you got to be a certain person. And, you know, I'll still go socialize with the best of them. I'll still go to the local dive bar. I love it. But it's, you know, it's gotten a lot more internal than, whereas it used to be completely external, for sure. Hmm. And what happens if you're doing a lucrative project, and it is lucrative, but it begins to bore you? Have you experienced that? You know, I have experienced that all too often. And unfortunately for me, when I get bored, I just stop. Like, I can't tell you how many three quarters complete projects are probably sitting on my hard drive right now. <laughs> like, I've probably got three quarters finished on about five books. Um, I, you know, I, it's, it's a little bit, it's great because it keeps me going. It keeps me building new things. But for instance, with my company right now, one of my key employees, she is, I, I tell her all the time, she's the, re, she keeps me tethered to earth. And it is, I mean, it is probably at least every other week she's emailing me saying, hey, don't forget about this. We need this complete. And it, sometimes it takes her asking me about three times because once I'm bored with it, it is really hard to get me to finish it. And so she, you know, I've had to actually kind of implement strategies on how to counteract that. And so she, she keeps, she'll hound me until I get it done and I'll eventually get it done. And I'll, after I've heard from her enough times, I'm like, okay, I just have to suck it up and do it. Um, but it, yeah, it's actually caused 
some problems when I of how quickly I can get bored. But on the other hand, when I'm not bored and I'm into a project, you can't stop me. Like it is like falls to the wall, like everyone clear out. This is happening. But that can also come to a screeching halt about three quarters of the way through. So it's, you know, I'm, I've had to learn to work with that a little bit and just try and finish things a little mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. So you have been living life on your terms for a while. There are lots of people who dream about doing it, but I would say that they're wearing what we call golden handcuffs. They, yeah. hate, they hate what they're doing, but it pays the bills or even more. It might yep. be lucrative. And they feel trapped. What would you? What advice would you give to that person to to follow something else, a different voice? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, and this isn't exactly the how to have how to get out of it, but a consideration. I actually have a chapter about this in my first book coming out. It's actually a real estate investing book, but it's more mindset based. And one of the chapters is called the three currencies. And I am determined, I've come to figure out over the years that there are actually three currencies that we work with anytime we need something. We all know money. That's the obvious one. If I want something, I pay someone money and I get the thing. That's a currency. And we trade money back and forth. The two that I feel like have been kind of left out of the equation are time and sanity. And so in any given situation, let's say that I need bookshelves built. And this is my, this is a... I'm staring at the bookshelves that I'm thinking of because I actually really got these are I call them the world's most expensive bookshelves because I just got screwed left and right with these bookshelves. So let's say that I want bookshelves built in my living room. And in order to get those bookshelves, I can pay in one of the one or more of those three currencies. I could pay I could save money and do it a lot cheaper, but there's a good chance because I'm not handy and I don't like that kind of work that I'm going to end up spending a lot in time and sanity in exchange for saving on the money. Whereas if I pay more money, I'm likely going to save on the time and sanity. And so I think it's a really key thing to understand that it's not just money in this life. And time and sanity for me, I always joke around saying there's no price tag on sanity, but it's kind of true is, well, and here's an example. So I have a friend right now who has a corporate job. She's very high up in that corporate job and she makes about 200 grand a year. Like that's a pretty substantial chunk of money. And, but with this job, she actually has to work very little time. She works from home. Like she really has a lot of flexibility, but she also hates this job. Like just, it's, it's like a tether for her. She, she wants to be doing other things. It's not where her passion is. And so she's in this, this question of the golden handcuffs She's making she's making 200,000 a year. Hates the job with a, every bone in her body, but she also doesn't really have to work a whole lot for it. She probably only works like 15 hours a week or so for it. So the question becomes how much is your misery worth at that point? And I compare that to that $200,000 a year and she has come to the realization which I agree with her that she can work 15 hours a week and make 200 grand and she's not losing enough sanity or time to justify losing $200,000. But let's say that she was stuck going into this corporate job and was working 17 hour days for this $200,000. There's a good chance that her time and sanity spent in that case is worth more than $200,000. So that's what I look at in any situation. So if you're in this golden handcuff situation, you know, first ask yourself, 
what, how much sanity are you losing? Or how much, if you would have otherwise been starting another business, how much could you be making with that business? Or, you know, start comparing, and maybe this is my math brain and how I look at things, but start comparing the numbers. And obviously you can't assign an official price tag to your sanity or you can a little bit to your time, but really start weighing out what is your sanity worth? What is your soul worth? In my case, my soul was worth a lot more than the little corporate, well, it ended up being a big corporate salary, but my soul was still worth more than that. And so that's how I start to really kind of look at things. And I feel like if you start looking in that direction and realizing that money is not the only currency in this world, then, then it can kind of open you up a little bit to start considering other possibilities. Like, you know, I, I've, I've heard stories all the time of the people who experience, what do they call them? Like they experience death and they come back or whatever and near death, not near death. Cause they actually go to the other side or whatever happens. I don't know. Um, but the reports, a hundred percent of those people have all come back from quote unquote, the other side and said, man, is it a party over there? And all of those people had, have said, it has made me rethink what it is that I stress so much about in this lifetime. Like, mm -hmm. and it changes all of their priorities. And so if you're only going to live once or whatever it's going to be, is it worth suffering the whole time just for a paycheck? And, you know, there's a little bit of a balance. You need to make sure you can eat. If you have a family, you got to be able to support your family. You got to figure different things out. But what is the point? of being on this earth in this lifetime. And I'm pretty sure it's not to spend your whole life suffering through just for a paycheck. And so that's, you know, I don't, I don't know that that probably helps anyone with a how to kind of manual, but you know, that perspective for me has changed a lot. And now my priorities in no way are the same as when I was 13 and wanting to make a ton of money. Now I don't, it would be nice to make a gazillion dollars, but I don't care so much because I care about my freedom and being able to go ski during the week and being able to wake up when my body wants to wake up. Those to me are worth far more than being a multi gajillionaire all day long. If I can pay my bills and I get all of those things, I'm fine with that. So it's really just that, you know, understanding that money isn't everything when it starts impeding on your time and sanity, at least for me. I, I, value I love it. It's, <laughs> I love it. It's fabulous advice. And because you have this wonderful company, if some people are really, you know, concerned about I'm stuck in something that I feel I have to stay with, you could consider looking into hipster investments and mm -hmm. You know, taking some baby steps by investing in some real estate that starts to give you yeah. more money, which will then give you more options and more time and more freedom. Right? Yeah, it's and, so true. And I'm the walking example of that is I just started investing in very small little opportunities and it ended up uh, changing my whole life. And I left corporate and I started a company. Like, I had no idea that that little bit of investing was going to change my life in that way. And, you know, even if you never leave your corporate job, a lot of this is about passive income. And truly, if you can build your passive income, you can start creating your life. Because the whole thing is, if you're not tied to a job, you can live where you want, you can travel when you want, you can do what you want, you can, it's, it's, the same as what happens with people who retire. They suddenly get to do anything they want whenever they want. And if you can build your passive income, 
even outside, you know, whether it's through real estate or maybe, I mean, stocks or kind of whatever, but, um, or starting company, whatever it is, as long as the income is passive and you keep building that, at some point, you're going to free yourself from a lot of those those handcuffs. Like, you're going to get one wrist out of those handcuffs, and you might eventually get two. And maybe you won't know what way or form that's going to happen necessarily. But just like you're saying, if you, if you are in those handcuffs right now, that's fine. But you can make the little baby steps to just start going in that direction. And at a minimum you'll have some extra added financial security, but then you just never know where the possibilities will end up either. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite book? Oh, gosh, I have so many. No, Um, you can only give me one. (laughs) Oh, only one. This is going to be painful. Um, (laughs) I I have three that have always been in a three-way tie, and this is the first time I've had to choose one. I would say of those three... The the one that I'll have to pick is my very favorite because it's the biggest picture and can pertain to the most amount of things would be the success principles by, uh, is it Jack Canfield? Yes, yep, Jack Canfield. Yep, yep it's, um, oh, wait a minute. Wait, pause. I think I just cheated because I gave away a name of a book. I have a completely different favorite book that's not even in the three-way tie. I can't believe this didn't come to my This is so much my favorite book that I never even <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I just tricked myself. So uh, my, and this is, this book may not be for everybody. And it's certainly not going to be for the people who are more content with um, certainty. Because this is the most epically uncertain how-to possible. um, Is The Surrender Experiment by um, Michael Singer. He wrote The Untethered Soul, which a lot of people in the spiritual world and whatever have read, and it's an amazing book. But his second book is called The Surrender Experiment, is his story. The whole book is a story from him of how he just wanted to be a meditating yogi in the woods. That's all he cared to do. That's That was his only intention. And at some point along the way, he decided to conduct an experiment. And that experiment was... When, if anything presents itself in front of him, he's going to go with it, regardless of whether he likes it or dislikes it, whether he has an opinion about it, whatever shows up in his life, he's going to follow it, even if it seems like the worst idea in the world. And so he vows to try this experiment out. And the whole book is his story of following those little things. My favorite example, <laughs> my favorite story, because I feel like this would be... Well, no, you, you know what? The reason, uh, I, the reason I don't want you to tell it is, oh. be, is because you've intrigued us so much oh, okay. that if people want to discover it... my favorite part. <laughs> no, they're going to... Okay, go ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, good. So, well, and it doesn't really give away anything. He uh, comes home. So he built this little cabin in the woods, and he comes home one day... And somebody had started building a little cabin on his property in the woods. And he had just wanted to be by himself in the woods, no humans. And for some reason, this person started building a house on his property. I don't even know how that was legal. And he said, that sounds like torture to me. Like, I, oh, that's terrible. And so he said, this sounds like torture, but it's not about my likes or dislikes. I'm just going to see where this leads. And I'll leave you in suspense as to where it leads. And so the whole story is things like that happening. 
And just, and it, some of the most strange, weird things, a siren just went by my head. I know, I got it. <laughs> as, as, you know, these odd things and things he it didn't see, like his mind was like, oh, dear God, don't follow that. And the whole book just demonstrates him following those things and what came of it. And I swear, I've read through this, but I just found out about it maybe two or three years ago. I've read through it twice already. It is like my new Bible. And it's, I just, I get so pumped about it because it's like a, through his story, I may, and again, this is totally maybe for the people who prefer uncertainty, but I do that all the time now. Like I try to really follow what shows up because like I said, when I started my company, I didn't mean to start my company. I wanted to start a company, but I didn't know what it was going to be. And people are like, well, how'd you end up in real estate? And I'm like, well, it kind of fell on my lap, but I hesitate to say that because it sounds like I didn't do any work for it. I did, but I didn't choose real estate. Real estate chose me and I followed it. And then like we talked about my mindset shift when I got going was I was trying to find the things I needed to be doing and I had to reverse that train of thought. I had to see what presented itself to me and like I love how you, I can't remember how you worded it, but about how letting the hows come to you and not trying to figure out the hows and that completely falls in line with exactly what this book is talking about. It, it validates this idea of we don't always know what's going to get us the most amount of success and so if we don't know how do we how do we follow that and really kind of ideas on how to follow those things and i'm a big advocate of doing things as organically as possible leads to the best amount of success because it's already going to be a tough road and so you know if you can ease that up as much as you can by following what you love and what comes to you and i just feel like it's it's that whole idea of strengthening your strength so I'll leave it at that book, and it's just, it's a phenomenal story. It's so, it's just him talking, his story, it's an interesting story, even if you're not on board with the surrendering thing, and yeah, I've, do you know, I have never mentioned that book on a podcast or to anyone, that's well, so funny. Fantastic, and by the way, Jim Carrey, I believe, has a movie called The Yes Man, which is similar to that, he, like he says yes to everything, Yeah, and it's, I, it's I a similar it. concept, I love that. Yeah. What is your favorite quote? Oh, don't take advice from someone you want to trade shoes with. <laughs> well, who said that, that? Do what? Who said that? Oh, you know, I've never figured out who said it. And I've even tried to type it into Google and I cannot find the source of it. I don't know where I heard it the first time. Uh, I, I don't know who to credit with it, but it's... Um, maybe. It's maybe. variations of it, but... You, maybe you made it up. I may have. I may have dreamt about it one night, which would not completely surprise me. I, who knows? We'll say I said it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if anyone listening is the one who said it, please let me know. <laughs> I do want to give credit where credit's due, but I see variations of it online, but I haven't seen that exact phrasing of it, so I have no idea. Allie, by the way, uh, I told you before that Boivin meant uh, glass mm -hmm. of wine. It doesn't. It means to drink wine because uh, bois comes from the French verb uh, boire uh, to which is to to drink so it's it's yeah. it's so drinking you know, to drink wine uh, bois vin is is drink wine so that's, well, that's what that's better because what good is a glass of wine if you don't drink it that's so. right yeah so how can people contact you especially if they want to invest and find out more about turnkeys for sure well if you want some turnkey info go to hipsterinvestments.com 
and reach out. You can subscribe to the site. We're not going to bombard you with a bunch of nonsense. We're just going to give you good stuff. You can reach out on the contact forms. You can always email me directly, Allie, A-L-I, at hipsterinvestments.com. And don't hesitate to reach out. I love talking to people. It's half of why I was a terrible engineer because I was talking to everybody all the time. Um, and yeah, you know, like I said, we're, we're really trying to be a friendly face in this industry. And so that's, we, we stand behind that. So if you reach out, you're going to get a response. And, uh, I actually just got, uh, on Facebook for the first time ever about a month ago. So if you search my name in Facebook, I have a page and a profile, whatever that means. Um, but connect with me on Facebook. Cause I, like I said, I'm just now on it for the first time and, um, yeah, and then you'll see through all the, the websites and stuff, uh, all the social, you know, Instagram and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, email me directly and let me know you found me on this podcast so I can give credit where credit is due for sure. And I'd be happy to chat with you about anything. Fantastic. That's A-L-I-B-O-O-N-E. Yep. Uh, Allie, this has been like uh, a triple espresso for me. Oh, yay. Well, it was such... I I love your questions because, you know, I, I love real estate, but real estate's a vehicle for me and for, you know, passive income and lifestyle. And I, you know, getting to talk to you is such a cool mix of, I love that I think we highlighted that it's not the job specifically that's always the important thing. And I love how you hit on a lot of the important things. And I think that's really cool for people. Thank you so much. Thank you, storytellers, for being part of this experience today. To help you enrich the experience even more, I've created a gift for you, an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. You can get instant access to it right now by going to changeyourstorypodcast.com and downloading your free copy. Also take advantage of the gift that our sponsor, Audible, is offering to the listeners of this show. That is a free audiobook of your choice, and you get to choose from more than 180,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. In the spirit of giving, I'm going to ask you to give me a few more moments of your time by going to iTunes and in the podcast category, finding Change Your Story, Change Your Life, and where you see that you can leave a brief review and a star rating. In the review, just state what your biggest takeaway was from today's episode. And I hope that I've earned a five-star rating from you. When you do that, you're telling iTunes to allow the show to climb the ranks. Then more people will find it and be able to enjoy it. If you haven't already subscribed to the show and you're getting value from it, then subscribe while you're visiting iTunes. One final thought. Whenever you find yourself facing a decision that's hard to make, stop. Don't let your mind work hard. Just take a deep breath and then ask, how can I change my story and change my life? 
then pause for a moment and allow the answer to come to you. I look forward to sharing another enriching experience with you on the next episode. Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.